this morning for our message, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. If you'd like to turn there, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 32-33. We're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper as a congregational event. Um, one of the things that... Our focus at Redeemer Christian Fellowship as a church is this idea of unity within the body, of a congregation that is actually congregational together. Um, I have a phrase I like to use, I call it doing life together. Um, I'm a big proponent that, that we want to be a church that just simply does not meet on Sundays, but we look to have actual family-like relationships with one another. That if you needed something, you would think of someone to call in the middle of the night. Certainly, you're biological, but not far down that list should be actually a church member because we are living life biblically modeled and demonstrated in the New Testament for us as a congregational people of God. And so as we read through this this morning, that's going to be the main premises I want you to keep in your mind, is that we're meant to do life together, and I'm not sure if I need to tell you, but some of you, this might be new news, people can be difficult and awkward. And as we read through this this morning, we're going to see that Paul's concerned about that. And most often, unfortunately, we tend to become the difficult and awkward people ourselves in how we interact with one another. And so Paul has a main concern that he wants to address in 1 Corinthians 11 regarding the Lord's Supper. And there's so much treasure, there's so much truth in this verse. We're going to only look at this one vein, so I just want to clarify that. There's lots of other um, topics, there's lots of studying we could do on this section of Lord's Supper, but we're going to focus mainly on unity. And so I want to make sure that you guys here this morning, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at talking about unity as Redeemer Christian Fellowship and how that relates to the Lord's Supper. And so as we read this this morning, keep that in mind. I'm going to read the whole text for us, and then we're going to go verse by verse. So I'm going to start in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus tonight in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, remember to me. In the same way, he took the cup and also sang, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here we have in the middle of this text, the foundational point of the Lord's Supper. So Jesus establishes the Lord's Supper Passover with his disciples. Paul in 1 Corinthians is going to go back to that and say, this is something that the church is to, 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 to excuse me, continue um, as we are gathering as a church. So it wasn't just a one-time-off meal for the apostles. It wasn't something uniquely only to them. It was something that Paul is establishing in all the churches he plants. And not only that, but he's instructing them to continue in good faith until when? According to what he said. According to what actually Jesus said. Until he returns, right? So um, the church ever loses this practice, they're in trouble. This is something foundational to our church theology. So as a church, if we ever got away from Lord's Supper and we said as the elders, we don't think this is important, um, the church body should be highly concerned and almost quote-unquote revolt at that notion. And so we want to make sure we understand that this is something that's foundational to being a Christian is the Lord's Supper. It's a practice with which we do. 
And so we see this in the middle of this issue that Paul is going to be raising about unity. So his main focus is this is something we do as a church regularly until the coming of Christ again. But let's look at some of the problems and issues he's having with this practice. So go, jump up a little bit to verse 17 and we're going to start there. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together to church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and I in part believe it. Paul here is going to right away, when it comes to Lord's Supper, admonish them. He's not happy with how they're living life together. And so when the New Testament church came together, when they took the Lord's Supper, it looked vastly different the way we take it today. Now, just a personal uh, side note as one of your elders, I do believe that the Lord's Supper should be an actual physical meal. So if you want to use the word potluck, that's fine, but there's an emphasis of the Lord's Supper within that. Um, doesn't mean that it's wrong to do it the way we do. We have the elements separated as part of the service, but we do see this is what Paul's referring to. He's referring to an actual meal, right? He's referring to the actual eating of food in a setting that is going to be fulfillment to the stomach, right? Um, it's, you're not going to get full off of a wafer, and you're not going to get full off of a cup of wine or juice, a little serving, right? It's an actual meal. So this is what Paul's referring to in this section here is a meal that they're coming together as the church to celebrate together. But they're not doing that correctly, right? Because 17, I do not praise you because you're not coming together for the better, but for the worse. What is the worse here? Is it they have a false teacher in their midst that is secretly teaching bad theology, right? Are they doing things that are reprehensible in terms of their actions? Are they being hypocritical? What are they doing that is for the worst? Let's look at it, verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together to church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And I, in part, believe it. The divisions are among the people, right? He tells us it's not because they're teaching something incorrectly. It's not because a wolf in sheep's clothing has come in and it has duped them. It's because the church is divisive. The church has divisions among its members. It is not actually behaving like a family, like a body, the bride of Christ. This is something that's very concerning for Paul. Unity is actually very important to the Christian faith. It's one of the only places that people from every walk, right, Jew or Gentile, male or female, free or slave, come together and they're on equal footing. Nowhere else in society is this a possibility, right? In fact, society discourages it. Last night, our team, to kind of celebrate, we went to Toscanos and Albuquerque. If you've ever been there, it's in downtown Albuquerque. There are clear divisions in downtown Albuquerque, right? There are certain people with this group over here. There are certain people of certain economic statuses on this side, and you avoid certain people at all costs, right, as you're trying to go to certain places, right? There's clear divisions in the world we live in, and we like those divisions, right? We like being comfortable with people that are of the same, quote-unquote, status as us. And Paul's saying we cannot allow that mentality to seep into the church and create division. It's a problem that this church in Corinth is having. Verse 19 for there, must also, therefore there also must be factions among you, so that whoever those you approve may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. 
We all have habits and divisions as humans that we form, and we have to constantly be aware of these things. Think about that. Paul's calling that out right in 19. For there also must be factions among you. There's just naturally going to be people you get along with better, that you gravitate towards. That's, that's life in a sense. But are we being aware of as a church, right? Um, I come from the Southern Baptist tradition originally. And in Southern Baptist circles, you have your section and you sit in that seat and that is your seat and you don't move, right? That's just a small, simple picture of division, right? And if I go sit in your seat, it might actually cause some problems. Like this is where I sit. Those are small, simple, little funny anecdotes, but then there's more deeper, serious underlying ones that Paul's going to get to. And so as, as a church, we have to constantly remind ourselves, and that's part of our duty as elders here at Redeemer, is to be making sure as a church that we're working together and living together in unity. And as Christians, we're called to do this, right? 20, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Let that sink in for a moment. This morning, we are here. We are going to eat the Lord's Supper together. We're going to take communion. And then we can do it so poorly that God's saying it's pointless. It's nothing but a, f- a false symbol, actually. It doesn't even mean anything because the way we are interacting and behaving as people. And so Paul is going to say this is something that is vital to church growth, church life. And there's a mystery there in terms of how God takes people from different walks different positions and makes them into a body of believers. So the warning has been severe from the beginning, right? You're not actually coming together. It's actually for the worst. In fact, you may eat the Lord's Supper, but you're actually not taking it because you're doing it so poorly, right? What are they doing so poorly? Again, the divisions. Verse 21. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Hmm. Right? Again, this is in the context of a meal. So the church at this time, the early New Testament, was gathering and they were eating together. They were doing life together. They were having fellowship together. Acts 2.42 is a great verse that points it out. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, the breaking of bread, and the, the Greek word is koinonia, which means fellowship, right? That's actually part of what we do at church, is, is we want to have fellowship together. It's why I like the simple, one of the simple things we do on a Sunday is we have family time, and we call it family time. That's appropriate, right? It's this idea that I'm as concerned for you as you are for me, that we actually should be concerned for those needs within the church, for one another, right? That we actually are a family. And so they're meeting at this time, but divisions are happening, right? And particularly in this case that Paul's going to bring out, there was a division among rich and poor. And so the rich were getting there, and they were enjoying lavish meals, and by the time the poor people got there, they're like, hey, sorry, we're all out. Or they were there so long, what were they doing? They're actually getting drunk, right? So they were drinking real wine, and that's another topic for another day. But the fact of the matter is they were enjoying themselves, fellowshipping with their certain group of people. They weren't concerned for the church. They were concerned for their group. They wanted to be seen with their people, enjoying those relationships with these people, but not these people. Right? They weren't concerned with those others. And so often in the church, we have to be careful that we don't become like that. That we realize 
that the church is made up of difficult people. But that actually is our strongest point, is the unity among different and difficult people. If you've ever had a job in the workplace, is it easy to work with difficult people? No, right? But yet, you still have to work with them. The church is a place where we don't have this tolerance of, we're just going to suffer through together, and I, I just grip my teeth every time I think about you. Right? And unfortunately, we, we take that mentality into the church. But it's deeper than that, right? In fact, there's an uncomfortable verse that says we're to bear with one another. We're to put up with one another. It doesn't stop there, right? It talks about we're to pray for one another. We're to love one another. So not only am I to love you and you to love me, but we're to bear with one another. We're to suffer together, right? It's the full spectrum of a family. There are times my wife has to bear with me. It's a struggle because I'm a difficult person. There's times that you have to be bared with. There's times you have to bear with one another. But as Paul's pointing out here, sometimes we don't do that in the church, right? We think that's only for my family. I'm going to give them that grace. I'm not giving you that grace. I'm going to give, not give them that grace. Right? They're not my family. Yeah, Paul's calling out that attitude here, right? You need to make sure that you're coming to eat the Lord's Supper together. That when you gather together as a church, you have that conviction within you. That you are present for those around you. That's what we mean by congregational-led church or mentality at Redeemer. We want to be constantly remindful of one another. So when we sing, we're not just singing because it brings me personally and individually closer to God. We sing because it brings us closer and get to God. When we take of the Lord's Supper, it's not because it's just simply me and God in a one-on relationship as I remember what he's done. It's me with you remembering what God has done for us collectively, that we are gathered here in the common faith of Christ Jesus to be the body of Christ. Look at verse 22. What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. We like our clubs. And unfortunately, church has become a club for some of us. We've known people who go to Sunday because it's their Sunday club. This is not good, right? Do you not have your own houses to eat and drink, right? Paul's saying, if you want to hang out with certain people, if you want to just have relationships with those that you feel most comfortable with, don't, don't show up to the gathering, right? Go away. That's really strong language from Paul, right? Don't be here. Do you despise the church of God, right? When you show up on Sunday morning, are you actively thinking about these around you throughout the week? Are you thinking about our church, Redeemer? How can I minister? How can I love? How can we be a family together? Or do you just simply show up because it's your quote-unquote required duty and then it turns out you actually despise God's church, right? That's, that's really terrifying for me to think that potentially there's going to be people who stand before God and God's going to say, you despised my body the whole entirety. You professed faith in Christ, right? Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you, right? What's their response? 
But Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Right? Didn't we do things in your name? Didn't we go to church? Weren't we nice tithers? Weren't we nice people to new people who came to service? Weren't we helpful and volunteered here and there? Yeah, but if you're not doing it with the mindfulness of for the betterment of the fellow person next to you, for growing deeper in faith and love with them, you might be in a position of despising the church of God. And shame those who have nothing, right? Again, at this time, Paul's talking about this idea between the rich and the poor. What shall I say to you? I have no praise for you. That's not very good. But Paul's pointing that out. And here again, he goes to what? The Lord's Supper. He brings them back. He's reminding them of what is the focus? Look at the focus again as we read 23 through following. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, and also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. One of the great things about the new covenant is it's a new foundation for life, right? In terms of relationships to one another. You think of Israel in the Old Testament. Were they a people to be like everyone else or were they set apart? Set apart. How were they set apart? Outward or inward signs? Outward signs, right? Very clear outward signs, right? So we, the Reformed faith has the understanding of the breakdown of the tripart law. Ceremonial, um, food-wise, and actual um, spirituals, right? So the, the three breaks of the law because there's a ceremonial aspect that was to separate them from the other societies around them. In the New Testament, we see this being displayed, right, and through Jesus, of it actually being an inward changing, the cup being cleansed from the outside, being born again, and now our hearts are changed to see people differently in how we interact. So is the church called apart? Yes. How are we called apart? What does Jesus say in John to his disciples? By your love, they will know what? That's your mind, right? By your love for one another. Who's the one another there? The church. So how is Redeemer Christian Fellowship to show the world, to show Roswell in that particular, that we're set apart, we're different? Our love for one another, Right? This is what Paul's reminding them. The new covenant, this blood, do this often to get remembrance of me, right? The new covenant ushers this in. 26, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the Lord's truth of bring us in, no longer male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. The new birth, right? We declare what Christ has done through Calvary and through his resurrection through the Lord's Supper. And so it's a, not only just the temporal sense of Christ on the cross and the future, it's what actually is happening day to day in our lives as a church body. Look at 27. Therefore, right, connecting what he just talked about, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
That is heavy and serious. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you profess faith in Christ, and you're constantly a person of divisiveness, you're constantly a person who has no love for the church, you drink Christ's sacrifice to your damnation, to your ill end. That is sobering, hopefully, for us in the room who profess faith. Right? You eat the cup and drink in worthy manner. It's not simply enough to come and, and look good on Sunday, right? Christ is concerned with how you live your life from Monday through Sunday in relation to one another, right? Not just only the world, but we're talking specifically about one another in this room. How do we interact with one another? How do we live lives together so that we're not drinking in an unworthy manner and eating in an unworthy manner that makes us guilty of his sacrifice? Verse 28. But a man must examine himself, and so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. There's lots of, uh, there's like a top ten list of verses that have been twisted, and this is one of them, right? So I've sat through many a church and many a service and many a sermon where this has been conveyed that if you have unrepentant sin in your heart, you need to repent for it before you take the Lord's Supper. That's true in a sense. But it's also twisting in the sense of, it's not actually what Paul's talking about. What sin is Paul talking about so far? And he's going he's to clarify here in the next verse. What sin is he saying that we need to make sure that's not residing in our heart? Issues with one another, right? Division with one another. Refusal to actually be a body together. And so, so often I think in my own life, because I, I was work through this, and sometimes even for you potentially, when you, when you get the cup and the, and the bread, you're thinking, man, do I need to really quick pray, like God forgive, just like a blanket cover of my sins, right? When the actual thought should be what? Is there anybody in this room that, I, that I'm actually not loving? Is there anybody in this room that I'm actually not suffering with, that I'm actually not concerned about? Do I need to go and repent and then actually go forth in love and truth in relationship with them? That's what Paul's talking about here. But a man must examine himself, and so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Okay? Verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. Again, Paul's going to clarify that for us. We must be people who are about reconciliation, about forgiveness, about saying apologies. Um, one of the things that we're going to have to learn to do, and it's with any pastor, with any church, is remind ourselves, because he's not here, I can, I can pick on him, right? Our lead pastor, Colin, is not perfect. He's going to sin. He's going to do inappropriate things, because we all do wrong, right? He's not a perfect person, nor am I, nor you. But I use this as an example, because usually, who do we think is the most quote-unquote example to follow, the lead pastor, right? And that's not a bad thing. But what I mean in the sense of is, if you have issues with our lead pastor, if you have issues with someone else, what do you need to do? Go talk to them, right? Now, remember, in the New Testament, how was this Lord's Supper taking place? In a mill, okay? So in a mill, there's a lot more talking. There's a lot of... Uh, real, you know, it's a little bit more laid back. And so it's a little bit easier, if, you know, to go talk to someone in private. Now, obviously, when, the way we do it, it's going to be really awkward if I, like, walk away to the back and I start having a conversation with somebody. 
because it's very silent, it's very more somber in that sense. So that means if we continue to do it this way, what are you going to have to do at some point during the week? You're going to have to give them a call. You're going to have to go see them. You're going to have to go out of your way to ensure that the faith is being preserved in a way that shows unity and love. Right? It's not enough just to say, listen, I don't, I don't want to deal with that person. I see him on Sundays. That's it. Yeah, remember, you're drinking the Lord's body to your own damnation, right? To your own judgment. Paul's pointing out two different places here, right? He said that again in 29. If he does not judge the body rightly... And in 30, Paul's going to just really drive this point home because he wants us to understand how important it is as a church we love and care for one another. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep. And I know most of you know this, but he doesn't mean asleep in the sense of uh, taking a nap. He means they've gone on to be with Christ, right? Their disunity was so bad that God said, it's probably better if I end your life for you to be in heaven with me than let you continue to be so disruptive. That's, that's not good, right? But so often as a church member, we, we get stuck in our trench and we refuse to budge. They have wronged me. I'm not going to say anything until they come to me. They need to apologize. They need to make sure that they know they're in the wrong. They need to fix the problem. That's not, that's not what Paul's calling us to do, right? He's calling us to be the ones to make sure that we are without the sin of disunity, that we are breaking down those divisions that arise naturally, and also unnaturally. Rich and poor is a natural division that Paul's talking about. What did the rich have to do? They had to either go eat at home, as he was saying, and then come back, or they need to actually wait and have the body eat together. So when we gather, we have to break those natural divisions that the world creates, and, and also the unnatural, through sin. Right? For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and number sleep. Verse 31, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. The Christian faith isn't simply to be lived without looking at ourselves, right? To judge yourself, to be reflective, right? If, if we awkwardly asked each one of us to stand up here and we said, and I, we would ask, are there any issues that you think I need to address, right? How do we think we would answer? Do we think the congregation would have good answers about us? What would people say about us in that sense of how we interact with one another in the church? These are the questions you need to be working through yourself on a regular basis that Paul is pointing out. But if we judge ourselves rightly, honestly, truthfully, against the word of God and the spirit revealing those truths to us, we would not be judged, right? God is not going to have to punish us, discipline us in that sense because we are actively seeking out to be unified as a church. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. This is a good verse in the sense that even though we may mess up, even though we perfectly do not see ourselves, right, as we often do when we think of sin, we don't see our own sin, but we see it in the, in the lives of others, God still disciplines us because he loves us. Right? Notice that. But if we are judged, so listen, even if you are struggling to be a person of forgiveness or a person who asks for forgiveness, know that God is disciplining you so that what? So that you will not be condemned 
along with the world. So if you go through some painful relationships in the church, right, and it's some tense moments, there's some tears and there's some anger, some things that get worked through and resolved, the good news is God was disciplining you so you will not be judged, right? Better to be disciplined than to be judged. Better to be found blameless at the end than unblameless before Christ. So God disciplines us because he loves us. God disciplines the church. Now, I've been here four years, and we truthfully have not had massive divisions, massive disunities in this church. But it's coming because I'm part of this church, and unfortunately you're part of this church in the sense of we're broken people. And so when it comes as a church, we have to be people who are willing to go and reconcile with one another. We have to be willing to be unified even though we are of different thoughts, different statuses, and different mindsets, but we're unified in Christ. And so as you're one of your elders, that's one of the things that I am and we are constantly aware of and thinking of and praying over is to make sure that God leads us into unity, right? To lead us into reconciliation. Because again, this is the example that sets to the world, right? This is our calling out our set apart to those who are not believers, is how we handle one another, right? It's really amazing when you see two people from two different backgrounds, two different statuses, two different life experiences, but yet they tenderly love each other. They come together and they're reconciled. That is what, call, what Paul is saying and what Christ is calling us to. Verse 33. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Now again, we are not eating it like a meal like they are, but there's still that application there of when we come together, are we coming together for each other, right? Are you simply here for your own needs? Or are you here because you actually want to be a part of this body, this group of people, and love Christ together? When you come together, wait for one another. When you come together, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matter I will range when I come. This morning, when we take the Lord's Supper, work through that sin of disunity. If there is disunity in your life with someone in this body, seek out restoration this week. If someone is difficult, if someone is challenging, work through that. Don't drink judgment upon yourself. Don't eat judgment upon yourself. We serve a wonderful God who takes broken people, makes them new, and brings them into a family forever. One of the greatest things that's going to happen is when we all stand before Christ of different ethnicities, different cultures, and we are one family forever. And we will grow deeper in relationship not only with Christ, but with one another. One of, the, one of the best pictures we have of that is marriage, which is actually a picture of what? Christ and his church. We're a part of that church. You and I, if you believe in Christ, we are bonded forever. That's amazing, right? It's, it's truly amazing in that sense. 
be of Christ's body. Eat and drink of his new covenant with unity and love and bearing with one another.